back to Romans chapter 8. And uh, in the uh, Welcome to Smack leaflet, you will have on the inside an outline of what we're looking at this morning, so do grab that as well. Uh, we've just been singing and thanking God for the presence of his Spirit with us in our lives and uh, it's good that we pray for the work of that Spirit as we study the Word of God together. So let's pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not alone. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you for his work in our lives. Father, we thank you that your Spirit inspired these words that we're looking at this morning. We thank you for the scriptures, that we are not in the dark about you and your work in our lives. And we pray for that same Spirit who inspired these words to give us understanding of them, to give us hearts and minds that are inclined to your word, that are inclined to serve your purposes, to serve one another, that are inclined to magnify the Lord Jesus in all that we do and in all that we say. So please help us now, be with us now, as we think about these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, there are times when we need help to speak, and uh, you may think of certain times in your own life when you've had a conversation you've dreaded for one reason or another. It might be the person that you're speaking to. Uh, They might be someone you find difficult or intimidating or painful for one reason or another to speak to. Or it might not be the person, it might be the occasion. Uh, Maybe it's just a very difficult context in which to speak to someone. I remember there being lots of discussion in 2004 with the um, uh, George Bush-John Kerry election campaign. After their first debate, um, people were scrutinising the performance of each candidate and there was a lot of discussion and speculation about whether Bush had an earpiece. Um, there'd been lots of kind of awkward silences before he spoke and he didn't sort of seem to be very fluid even for, for George Bush and so people were thinking maybe he's got an earpiece and they were kind of looking at the footage to sort of see if there was a little wire going into his ear or something. Or you think of a movie where a, a sort of stumbling character, normally sort of English in this kind of movie, is trying to pluck up the courage to ask out the lady of the movie and someone is sort of either feeding him lines through an earpiece or he's got them written down and he's sort of trying to stammer them out. There are times when we need help to speak. I can think of times when I've had to have very difficult conversations with church members back home and I've known it's going to be awkward or painful for one or both of us and at those times I'll I'll even write down what I want to say to them before I speak to them. I don't normally rehearse for a conversation, it's not the kind of thing you need to do. But there are times when you know it's going to be difficult and so you might work it through in your mind beforehand, you might talk to somebody else, ask their advice about what to say. I'll just suggest this morning that all prayer is a difficult conversation and that we need help. It's a strange thing because prayer is a simple act. It's a very straightforward thing. We talk to God. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. And yet it's also a spiritual act. And therefore we don't find it natural. We don't find it easy. Uh, We're not just talking to any old person, we're talking to our Maker, to our God. And therefore we need help in order to speak to Him. And that really is our theme this morning. We're thinking about the role of the Spirit 
as he helps us to pray. We've been thinking about the work of the Spirit in different ways over the last few weeks. As he equips us to serve one another and to help one another, we've been thinking of the lifestyle he promotes in our lives. But we're thinking now about our relationship to God and how he helps us to pray. And I hope for those of us who are Christians, it will be an encouragement to us. Because if you find prayer difficult, then you're not alone. Either because the rest of us find prayer difficult, but also because you're not alone. We have help to pray. And for those of us maybe who don't know where we stand with Christian things, or know that we're not Christians, I hope what we look at this morning will show you what is Christian about Christian prayer. Well, we're thinking of the Spirit's work in uh, three kind of ways, I guess, as we think about prayer, and you'll see from the outlines. We're thinking of the Spirit and the impetus to pray, the Spirit helping us to, to begin to pray to start with, the Spirit and the content of prayer, what we actually say, and his role in that, and also his help and in the practice of prayer. And as we think about these things, I hope we can begin to circle in a little bit on what Paul means when he talks about Christians needing to pray in the Spirit and something about what he might mean by that. So our first point this morning is that we think about the Spirit and the impetus to pray and for that you'll need Romans 8, uh, 15 to 17 open in front of you. Uh, This is a, a wonderful chapter on the work of the Holy Spirit. If it's something you want to think more about then do work through this chapter as uh, Paul explains what it means for us to have the gift of the Spirit. And one of the points Paul makes fairly early on in this chapter is that if we are Christians, we have the Spirit. Uh, Paul says in verse uh, verse 9 of Romans 8, uh, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul's logic is, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. And correspondingly, if you are a Christian, you do have the Spirit. So Paul can't imagine a Spirit-less Christian. And nor can he imagine a Spirit-filled non-Christian. If we're Christians, we have the Spirit. And what we go on to think about now in these verses is, what kind of Spirit do we have from God? What's he like? What's his effect in our lives? But there are some people, and you will know of some, you might even be one, who have an effect the moment they enter the room. Some people just have such a kind of presence about them that when they enter the room, the whole room knows it, the whole room feels different. Maybe because they're the kind of life and soul of the party, and the moment they turn up, everyone is kind of immediately drawn to them. Or maybe it's because they have such a kind of importance and stature that as they enter the room, everyone kind of sort of feels the stakes getting higher as they come in. Well, what is the effect of the Spirit in us? What is the effect of him entering the room, if you like, of our lives? Well, look at verse 15. Paul says what it's not. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is not what the Spirit is producing in our lives. He's not a spirit of slavery He's not a spirit who helps, sort of makes us cower and tremble before our master. Now elsewhere, Paul says we are slaves to Jesus Christ. And he goes on to show that that kind of slavery is perfect freedom. But it's a slavery in the context of friendship. 
Not a cruel master that we don't know, but a friend that we serve. No, when Paul says in verse, uh, uh, wherever it is, verse, um, where is it? verse 15, that's right, that we don't have a spirit of slavery, he's thinking of the slavery of the world around him. Our relationship with God is not one where we are scared of him now, where we are intimidated by him, where we fear his judgment or condemnation. Paul has said at the beginning of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. So he's not come to give us that kind of, of, of effect. He's not a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. Instead, Paul goes on to say, you have received a spirit of adoption. A spirit of adoption as sons. This spirit applies to us the wonderful truth that by trusting in Jesus we are adopted into God's family. God has chosen us. Chosen us to be part of his family and to receive his love. And the Spirit applies that to us. He is the Spirit of adoption. And therefore the Spirit helps us to cry to God as our Father. By whom, verse 15, we cry, Abba Father. His work is such that he prompts us, he helps us to know that we can come before God and call him Father that that is the kind of relationship we have. Uh, the word Abba there is not um, the sort of glam 80s band from Scandinavia. It's a, a Hebrew word that really expresses a very intimate way of referring to your father. It's what you would have called your father if you were a Hebrew boy. In fact, I remember reading about one theologian who had sort of written sort of great weighty claims on what it meant to call God father. who went to visit Israel once. And uh, he just happened to be in a shop, and the, the man running the shop, he had a little son, and the son ran up to his father, shut his arms around his legs and cried out, Abba! And he said that was far more instructive to him about what it meant to call God Father than anything else. We call God Abba Father because we are now part of his family. It's an intimate term, a familiar term, a homely term. And the privilege is ours because we are adopted. So I don't think it's right to say that all people everywhere are God's children. People sometimes talk about the kind of universal fatherhood of God. That everybody God has made is his child in some way. Now the Bible says that we're all God's offspring, we're all made by him. But actually the privilege of calling God Father is extended only to those who come to him and receive that gift in Jesus Christ. So we have sonship through the Spirit. But Paul goes on to say that we also therefore have confidence through the Spirit. The Spirit prompts me to pray, he prompts me to cry to God as my Father. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So in verse 15, Paul says the Spirit prompts us to call out Abba Father. In verse 16, the Spirit testifies that we're children of God. And I don't think those are two separate activities. It's the same activity. As we cry Abba Father, the Spirit bears witness to us that we are God's children. That this is the, the right way of relating to him. That we have praying terms with God. Uh, just occasionally you might have a very good friend or a, a family member who goes through a difficult time. And you might say to them, listen, 
here's my, my, my private number. I want you to feel free to call me any time of night or day. If you really need some help, please feel free to call me. I don't mind if it's the middle of the night, wake me up, whatever it takes. And you give someone the privilege of having access to you at any time. And that is what God has given us in Christ. We are now on praying terms with God. And as we pray, the Spirit confirms to us the rightness of praying. Prayer is a means of assurance that we're not talking to ourselves. Sometimes feels as though we are. Sometimes feels as though what we're saying is just bouncing back off the ceiling. But as we pray, as the Spirit teaches us to pray, He gives us assurance that we are actually communicating with God, that our prayers are being heard. And in fact, prayer is enacting the Gospel to ourselves. As Andrew said earlier, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We are joining in the relationships of the Trinity. And what a great privilege that is. Uh, One of the great American sitcoms of the 80s was Cheers. I don't know if any of you remember the TV show Cheers. I think it was popular because the whole premise behind the show was kind of captured in the opening credits. Everyone wants a place where everyone knows their name. It kind of gave this vision of community that you could join, where people knew you and you could just turn up and be at home. Well, it's a hugely successful programme, and one of the people who made it went on to make another show that was even more successful called Friends. And originally, Friends was going to be called Friends Like Us. And again, the premise was that this is a little gang of people that you would want to be part of. A group of friends so kind of attractive in the way they relate to each other that you wish they were your friends. And they decided to call it Friends instead of Friends Like Us to make it sound less exclusive. But that is our hunger, to, just to be part of a gang. And really, one of the things the Spirit does is to show us that we are now part of the relationships of the Trinity. We are joining in, if you like, to the life of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We now can pray to the Father in the name of the Son and by the Spirit. We are given a Spirit, not of fear, but of confidence. And so he gives us the impetus to pray the confidence to pray to our Father. Wonderfully, his ministry doesn't stop there, but he then helps us as we pray. He helps us with the content of our prayer. Uh, That's our second point. And we move down, down now to Romans 8 and verse 26. I was uh, once running a course for people who were wanting to find out about the Christian faith, and uh, someone asked a question that really stumped me. Um, lots of questions stumped me, but this one really stumped me. Someone said, what does it feel like to be a Christian? And I thought, that's a brilliant question, and I didn't know where to start answering, so I did what I always do when I don't know the answer to a question. I said, let's, let's open that up and see what other people think. And uh, we sort of went around each, each Christian who was there in the group and said, how would you answer that? And we kind of scratched our heads and we it's kind of hard to explain how it feels to be a Christian. And I wish I'd had Romans 8 to mind, because I think it's somewhere where we get close to, to sort of understanding what it feels like to be a Christian. Paul has just told us in verse 15 that we have received the spirit of adoption of sons, and we can enjoy some of the benefits of that. We now can cry, Abba, Father. But look at what he says in verse 23. 
He says not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We have received the Spirit of adoption, we can enjoy some of the blessings of that, but we still wait for our full adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. And we are kind of caught in between those two things. We've received the first fruits, we've received a deposit, if you like, but we haven't yet received adoption in fullness. And therefore we groan in expectation. One of my um, very earliest memories is of playing um, on the floor at home, upstairs on the kind of landing, with a little toy truck with my dad at about three o'clock in the morning and uh, the reason for this slightly strange time and context to play was that it was my birthday and uh, if you're a little boy and it's, it's your birthday the next day it is very very hard to get to sleep because you just you're too excited to get to sleep and evidently I've been wide awake since about one o'clock and eventually my poor father had taken pity and decided that I could open one present one present now and play for a little bit and then go back to bed. And hence I was on the landing floor at three o'clock in the morning playing with a very shiny new truck. It is unbearable being a child the day before your birthday or the day before Christmas. It is unbearable, I'm sure, having children who are finding it unbearable. The waiting is agony. And it's painful. And yet you wouldn't not have it, would you? You wouldn't not have the expectation. But having the expectation is hard. And Paul says that is, a, that is something of what it's like being a Christian. We know we have much to look forward to. We eagerly await it. And yet we're not yet there. We still have to wait. And so we groan. It is agony. Living under these promises and this expectation. And so Paul says we need help. So verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now Paul just assumes, by the way, that it's going to be hard living in this in-between time. We have, but we still wait. It is going to be difficult. There is ambiguity there. And that ambiguity is found in our prayer life. Paul says we don't know what we ought to pray for. It can be confusing. There are times in this life we just don't know where to start. If we're facing some kind of affliction or, or difficulty or a friend of ours is, how do we pray? Do we pray for deliverance from the problem? Or do we pray for endurance through it? Where do we begin? What's the best thing to pray for them? What is actually going to be their ultimate good? How do we get there? It is hard to know sometimes how to pray. We can be bewildered. We don't yet have the perspective we need to pray properly. I was uh, talking to a friend a, a few weeks ago who's having a, a very painful family situation and he said, we don't know God's way through this. And I thought that's a very good way of putting it. Sometimes we don't know God's way through a given situation and therefore it's hard to pray. And so we need help. And so we have help. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but, the end of verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's a lot of groaning in Romans chapter 8. It's a very kind of groaning chapter. 
Creation groans in verse 22 because it's fed up uh, with having to wait as well. We groan because we're trying to wait. But the Spirit with us also groans as he intercedes for us. And so he's a partner with us as we try to pray. And if you like, he's praying with us, for us, on our behalf. Uh, sometimes little toddlers, and I've been discovering this with the, the Chia family recently, like to kind of step on your feet and for you to kind of walk them around the house. As a kind of, I think you call it the robot walk or something, don't you? It's not a, a kind of exact parallel, but I, I sort of like to think that is how the Spirit helps us to pray. He's kind of walking us through the prayer. He's interceding with us and for us. He's partnering with us and helping us to speak to our Father. And the effect of his intercession in verse 27 is that God hears. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God hears our prayers because the Spirit is helping us. Uh, Back in Oxford I got to know a Thai student who was doing a PhD and uh, as I got to know him it was apparent he was struggling to write up his thesis. Uh, he was very good at conversational English. He was struggling with written English. And so what would happen is, about once a week or once a fortnight, he would come round, he would have emailed me the latest draft of the next bit of his PhD, and we would go through it together. And he needed a lot of help. Most of the time I could work out what he was trying to say. Sometimes I couldn't. But most of the time he sort of got the vague sense of, I think he's trying to go here, but he's got all the words jumbled up and he's not quite worked out how to put it. And so I'd try and go through it and help him to sort of rephrase things to make it a bit more coherent. Well, I think that's what Paul says the Spirit is doing for us. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you like, he collects up our kind of not quite knowing how to pray, our sort of stabs at praying in a difficult situation, and presents them to God according to God's will. It's as if he's a kind of prayer equivalent of a spell checker on a computer. The Spirit helps us to pray, presenting our prayers to God the Father so that they are heard and so that they are in accordance with his will. Uh, C.S. Lewis once described prayer as a divine soliloquy, that God is in a sense talking to himself through prayer as he gives us the words to give to himself. I think that's overstating it, it kind of implies we're sort of token in the process. But there is a sense in which that's true. God is involved at both ends of the prayer. He is involved as we offer the prayer through his Spirit. And he is involved in the reception of that prayer, again by the Spirit. He helps us at both ends. And the encouragement of that is that no prayer is wasted. No prayer is wasted. Even if we're confused and don't quite know which way is up in any given situation, no prayer is ever wasted. I think these teachings are a wonderful encouragement to pray. The fact that prayer bears witness to us that we're God's children, I think, means that we should pray until we pray. One of the great ways of praying more is to pray more. And here we find out that prayer is never wasted, even if we're confused and don't quite know what we should be praying. So the spirit and the content of prayer... Well, finally, if you think about the practice of prayer, and we begin to think about what Paul is getting at when he says, pray in the Spirit. It sounds a confusing thing to say at first. It sounds as if there's a kind of 
special kind of prayer that you sort of shift up gears into at certain times. So what is Paul talking about? Well, turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And if you've got the same page numbering as I have, that's page 1178, but I discovered yesterday that for some reason the same editions of the Bible had slightly different page numbers. So Ephesians 6, either way. And verse 18. Paul has been talking so far in Ephesians 6 about the battle that we are in. Uh, we are caught up in a spiritual battle. And he's been going through the, the armour that we need to, to clothe ourselves with. And if he gets to the end of that discussion, he says in verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. What does he mean? Well, notice a few things. Firstly, prayer in the Spirit, whatever else we might say, is essential. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer. As far as Paul is concerned, all of our prayer is to be prayer in the Spirit. So he's not talking about a kind of optional type of prayer that you might read aloud at special occasions. All prayer is to be like this. Paul is talking, I think, about the character of Christian prayer, that it is prayer in the Spirit. Prayer that is not in the Spirit is not Christian prayer. All prayer that is Christian is prayer in the Spirit. And Paul says there is no occasion where such prayer is not appropriate. At all times, all prayer is to be prayer in the Spirit. It doesn't matter where we are or who we're with or what the situation is, it is always a good thing to pray always a good thing to pray. Notice to itself control. Paul says in verse 18, he says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert. So, again, whatever else this is to pray in the Spirit, it's not something where the Spirit kind of takes over us and we lose any control over what we're praying. I don't think it's a passive thing. We do the praying in the Spirit but we do so mindful and alert and clear-minded. Uh, there was a wonderful uh, documentary made a few years ago called Planet Earth, uh, which is sort of an amazing natural history documentary. And at the end of each episode, they gave you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes of how they made it. And one particular episode has it as its kind of behind-the-scenes moment, how they went about trying to get footage, I think it was of a Siberian leopard, one of the most rarest animals in the world. And basically it showed us how this chap eventually got footage of this very elusive creature. And he kind of made himself a den somewhere in the middle of the snowy wastes of Siberia, in the middle of a forest. Made himself a little den in a hut and kind of covered it over with leaves. And he basically sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks, waiting, waiting waiting, constantly looking out of the window to see if this wretched creature would turn up. And eventually the creature did. But he had to stay alert. He couldn't sort of sit there reading a book or doing a Sudoku or writing emails or something else. He had to be alert. He had to be watching because this thing could turn up at any time. And Paul says we have to be alert. 
we have to be watchful because there are times when we really do need to be praying about things. So Paul says, keep alert. This world, the people that we know, need prayer. Situations need prayer. So be alert and ready to pray, poised. Next point, uh, the praying in the Spirit is corporate. And if you can stick a appropriate part of your anatomy in Ephesians 6 and flick ahead to Jude, We'll come back to Ephesians in just a moment. But flick ahead to Jude 20. And if you've got this particular Bible, it's 1234, which is a nice easy page number to remember. Page 1234. And we read these words in verse 20. You, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is speaking to Christians corporately. He says, build yourselves up, keep yourselves, help each other with this. This is a together activity. And in the middle of those two commands, to, to keep yourselves and to build yourselves, he says, pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And so I take it, this is something we don't just do on our own in a hut in Siberia. It's something we do with one another and help one another with. Um, our own, that the Holy Spirit is not our only companion as we seek to pray. We can pray with and for each other. And finally, it's persistent. Jude says, keep yourselves, pray in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of those things we keep doing right to the end. Again, back in Ephesians 6, Paul says, pray with all perseverance. Keep doing it. Keep on praying and don't give up. Paul says, persevere in praying for all the saints, for all of our Christian brothers and sisters. And he gives us an example of it in verses 19 and 20, uh, back in Ephesians 6. Paul says, pray also for me, that words may be given me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak, uh, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. This is an example, I guess, of praying in the Spirit. Paul has three prayer requests. Pray that words would be given to me. This activity of sharing the Gospel for Paul is supernatural. He needs words to be given by God, so pray for that. Pray that I would proclaim the mystery, he says. Now, mystery in the, in the Bible doesn't mean something that you don't know. It means something that was hidden but is now revealed. Check at one of those kind of posh restaurants where they kind of have a dish over your plate of food and then sort of bring it forward and then take off the lid and sort of ta-da moment. That is what it means to have a mystery in the Bible. Something is suddenly revealed. And Paul says God has revealed in Jesus the mystery of the Gospel. So pray that I would proclaim it. God has shown us his purposes. He's shown us how he works. And finally, pray for boldness. This is urgent that the Gospel would be preached. And we're to be persistent, therefore, in praying such prayers for the progress of God's Gospel, that his Kingdom would come on earth. So as we finish, how do we pray in the Spirit? Well, I want to end by suggesting that prayer in the Spirit is evangelical prayer. That is to say, it is born out of the Gospel 
as the Spirit applies the Gospel to us, prayer is the response. It expresses what we have now in Jesus Christ. Access in his name by the Spirit to the Father. It is born out of the Gospel and it's concerned with the Gospel. To be praying in the Spirit is to be praying along the lines that matter to God, praying for what matters to him. And therefore, prayer in the Spirit is Christian prayer. In its shape and in its content, it is Christian. And therefore, I take it, it's a powerful witness. Because we see the shape of what God has done for us in the way that we pray. Our prayer reflects the Gospel. I was trying to remember the details of this the other day and couldn't remember them at all, so I'll muck up the details, but the point is, is the same. They once discovered a planet. Not because they thought there was going to be a planet there, so they kind of rummaged around and, oh, there it is, we found it now. They discovered a planet by seeing strange effects going on with various other things in the area. And the effect said to them, there is, there is a planet somewhere around here. These effects all kind of point to the, to the fact that there's a large kind of planetary body somewhere in the middle causing all these effects around the edges. And it's by seeing the effects they could work out the character and location of the planet. And I want to suggest that the effects the Gospel has on us point to it. The lives we live in response to the Gospel reflect the Gospel. They are gospel shapes. That is true of our lifestyle, it is true of our prayer. The way we pray should show people something of the Gospel. That we can pray and how we can pray. So, praying in the Spirit, I guess, is Christian prayer. It is what makes Christian prayer Christian. That it's done by the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest, it is therefore the only true kind of prayer. Uh, lots of different people and lots of different backgrounds have lots of different views as to what prayer is. Spinning a wheel, flying a flag, spending time in meditative silence. There is only one kind of prayer that God hears. And that is Christian prayer, because it is the prayer that God enables us to offer. It is prayer by the Spirit. He gives us the impetus to pray. He helps us in the content of our prayer. And he helps us in the practice of our prayer. Well, let's pray as we finish. Our Father, we thank you again that we are not alone. We thank you that we can pray to you now as our Father. We thank you for the work in your Spirit who prompts us to do that. We thank you that as we pray to you, and as we get into the discipline of praying to you, it testifies with our Spirit that we are children of God. Father, that is not a status we bear lightly, and not one that we believe easily. So please help us by your Spirit to call you our Father, to know that we can do that, to cry out to you in the ambiguity and the bewilderment of life in your world. Help us to pray. And we thank you, Father, that even if we are confused as we pray, that again, we're not alone there, 
but that your spirit intercedes with us and for us and helps our prayers to be heard and in accordance with your will. So Father, please help each one of us to enjoy this wonderful privilege. May we all be people of prayer. For we ask in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.